Section 11 of Unprofessional Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Beth Thomas. Unprofessional Tales by Norman Douglas. Section 11. A Tyrrhenian Fable. Once upon a time, there lived in the country of Atlantis a king and his queen. The king was just and pious, but his name has been forgotten. The queen, who was unjust and overbearing, was called Salona. In due time, a daughter was born to them. At this event, there were great feastings in all the towns, and the neighboring princes sent gifts and messages of congratulation. But the queen was secretly angry, for she had wished to herself a son instead of a daughter. The little princess was named Mitho. She was the perfection of loveliness. Her eyes were blue, not the dim, glaucous blue of northern skies, but deep and glowing, serene in their depths, like a rift of the azure firmament walled in between two heavy thunderclouds, and of more dazzling glow than the legions of tiny gentians that carpet moist mountain meadows in springtime. And whenever she turned to speak, there was a world of tenderness in her look. Now because all Mytho's nation and kinsfolk were of dark eyes and complexion, the king was alarmed such a thing had never been seen before and he wondered what the prodigy could mean so he consulted in the first place the astrologers and the great teachers of medicine and those skilled in the knowledge of herbs they opened their books but soon shut them again in despair then he called together the ministers of the land who talked and wrangled together for many days at last when it seemed least likely that they should ever come to a decision the voice of the oldest of them prevailed and he thus addressed the king know o king that this is no child like others she is destined methinks to a strange fate let her be brought up apart from her kindred and do not oppose her will for she can do no wrong action and look you govern your people wisely exercising justice in all your dealings else evil will come upon your dominions i can call to mind that my father told me of some prophecy anent a blue-eyed maiden but i paid little heed to his words young folks are ever forgetful all this was long ago, in the days when there was less wrongdoing, and when everyone was more wise and happy than they are nowadays. Some of the younger counsellors were seen to turn away their faces, as though they would hide a smile, but the king gave heed to these words. And thus it came about that Mytho, while she was yet a little child, was taken away from the great town, and grew up in a palace that was specially built for her among the wild woods she used to wander alone among the trees and often played with the wild fawns of the forest or crept along the streamlets to espy the painted kingfisher darting down the current swift as an arrow of light or poised like a quivering flame over the still pools the days glided by as in the borderland between sleep and waking the musings of her gentle mind were clad in rainbow hues and the gods looked down from their cloudy pavilions and smiled and took joy in her beauty and innocence because she longed for a playmate, they sent their favourite, the young huntsman Alphys, to be her companion. Mytho and Alphys became the dearest of friends to one another, and between them was such harmony and understanding as never falls to our lot. And so the golden months passed. But after these years of happiness, Queen Salona recalled her daughter to her own palace and said, "'It is now time, Mytho, that you should think of your marriage.' i will ask the courtiers and nobles of the kingdom to come here in order that you may choose one among them and be happy but when she heard these words the princess wept and answered oh my mother i have been brought up far away from all these strangers and i was happy with alphys and have promised to be ever true to him asked the queen who is alphys 
when all had been explained to her, she was very angry. But she determined to conceal it for fear of the king who loved his daughter. So she bit her lips and merely said, "'Try to chase him from your remembrance.' Before that day, Mithor had never known what it was to feel disappointment. She was surprised at these hard words, and the more she thought of them, the more cruel they seemed, till at last she became quite ill with sadness. So the queen, in her perplexity, applied to the king for advice, explaining to him her projects and Mithor's resistance to them, and hoping to make him think as she did. But he only shook his head and replied, "'I can do nothing. Such and such is the reed of my counsellors, and we would do well to follow it.' whereupon Queen Salona waxed yet more angry, for she hated to be crossed in her wishes, and she bethought her of other shifts. She summoned to the palace the witch, or Luxo, that lived far away in a hollow mountain, a master of enchantments. Such was Oluxo's might that she could drain rivers to their sources, and transform men into beasts, and coax the very elements into obedience. The evil hag laid back the journey of three moons in the twinkling of an eye, and stood before Salona, who told her all that had happened, and concluded by saying, "'Change me, therefore, the heart of this girl, and mould it to my wishes, that she may forget this vagrant Alphys.' But Aluxo, mighty as she was, winced at these words. "'Alas, O oh Queen,' she replied, "'it is beyond my art to turn the intent of a maiden's heart.' Her desires are inviolable, and may not be thwarted by spells. Command to me, therefore, some other behest. Salona considered a while, and then said, We must rid the earth of this lover. Nothing is easier, laughed Aluxo, such a terrible laugh. And so, after the heat of the day, when Alphys was resting near a favourite spring of water, he was suddenly changed into the likeness of a fawn, such a fawn as Mythor had played with in the woods and a black panther who came to the same place to slake his thirst fell upon him and devoured him thus alphas died unbeknown to his beloved but in the palace meanwhile mytho could not escape from the attentions of her suitors the fame of her blue eyes had spread over the whole land and they all said among themselves she is indeed beautiful so that the nobles flocked to the capital from the furthest outskirts of the country seeking her favour and the queen urged her to accept one of them without delay for she feared the king might come to hear of her machinations but mythor remained true to her friend and left her father's palace in the hopes of meeting him once more she wandered far away but the suitors followed her everywhere quarrelling with one another as to who should be her husband and each striving that she should notice only himself and one evening as she lay down to rest footsore and sick at heart the witch oluxo suddenly stood up before her her eyes gleamed with wicked pleasure at the sight of mythos humiliation and she said wretched girl see to what straits you have come through disobedience you are now at the furthest end of your father's country therefore take one of these to your husband or i will never more let you return home but the princess remembered her vow to the nobles who pressed her to help them the witch said i cannot alter the bent of her mind it is for you to do this if you can but do you persevere and i will pray to my great master that he preserve your lives in this pursuit more i cannot do for you so mytho rose up again and wandered on and came to strange regions to the land of the trogdolites that live in dark caves and subsist on roots and noisome reptiles to the dwarfs cunning and treacherous to the anthropophagi that devour men's flesh all these and many more were under oloxo's sway Whenever, therefore, Mytho prayed them for help, they said, We will not aid you, leave us. 
and her loveliness was gone. The colour left her cheeks for excessive ill-treatment. At last she reached a little rock islet, jutting out of the waves. Now this rock belonged to a good fairy, who loved to dive among the crimson groves of coral at his foot, and then to mount with streaming hair up to its breezy summit, where she took her pleasure in watching the clouds as they drifted into dainty shapes overhead. Mytho thought herself safe on this islet, and all her hardships ended. But scarcely had she set foot on it than the suitors climbed up likewise and surrounded her, each praising his own merits and disparaging the others. "'By the light of her eyes,' said the most pretentious of them, "'I was the first to follow her to this spot, and she is now mine for ever.' But the others only mocked him, and they set to quarrelling more than ever. When Mytho saw all this, her heart failed her. Turning her blue eyes full upon them, she cried out in despair, there is indeed no release for me save in death. I will therefore put you to the task. Let him who loves me follow me. And with those words she threw herself down headlong from the cliff. The nobles stood aghast, but they were much too cowardly to think of doing likewise. They at once began to wrangle among themselves about who was to blame and how they should escape out of these straits. But the good fairy lifted her white arms and said, You shall never more quit this islet to see your homes and because a mighty charm preserves you from death i shall chain you living to this rock where you shall crawl eternally and your blue colour shall proclaim to such as have understanding the tale of mytho and her eyes and they felt their bodies shrinking under a sleek and scaly armour their faces became pointed like lizard's snouts their limbs squat and each of them laughed thinking his fellow smaller and uglier than himself ha ha how ugly you are they said to one another for they were transmute one and all into sky-blue lizards. They immediately began to dispute about such things as may interest a reptile community, and their contentious voices and habits are remarked to this day. Many travellers have visited the rock in order to see these wonderful lizards, but not everyone knows how they reached that islet or came by their strange colour. The fairy sought and found a new rock on which to disport herself in peace. Meanwhile, the kingdom of Atlantis was invaded by enemies and suffered great defeats because the chief nobles were away and could not defend it. And this was a right punishment for the unkindness of the queen towards her daughter. But Mytho, after her fateful plunge from the rock and before her delicate feet could touch the crest of the waves, was upborne by a silvery mist in the semblance of a white sea-mew that dispread its wings and flew away with her to meet Alphys on some happy star. End of section 11.